Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, owner of the company of Horns of Odin, and I'm John, joined by Georgia Sotetetti. Correct. There's so many T's in that surname. I know. <laughs> I, I was having a little heart palpitation thinking of saying it. Georgia Sotetetti, it was perfect. Thank you. Thank you for lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so do you do you want to give a little introduction as to you, who you are, what you specialize in? Yes, uh, I'm an archaeologist. At least I have a BA in archaeology uh, that I obtained in uh, at the University of Pisa in Italy, and then I moved here in Iceland for uh, the VMN Master Program, that is Viking and Medieval Norse Program, and I graduated. Uh, just last September, October. So I'm a postgraduate at University mm-hmm. of Iceland. I'm not a PhD student yet. Let's see. Yet. But <laughs> let's see what happens. But yeah, and my master thesis through, like in this program at University of Iceland, was focusing mostly on all North religions and archaeology because I wanted to combine the two disciplines, obviously, because I come from an archaeological background. And I basically decided to deal with uh, idols. Then we can mm-hmm. analyze a bit better, like why I also decide to use the, um, the term idol because I I anticipate already it, it can be a rather loaded term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it depends if you're a scholar, for example, more into Christian kind of studies. Um, I got some scholars saying, like, ah, "Are you sure you want to, you know, to use the term idol? Is loaded and whatever." So I will mm-hmm. go more into that yeah um but yeah and we're going to discuss today <laughs> basically the, the content of of my thesis because um it was a rather structured thesis in which i analyzed different kind of nordic uh different types of nordic idols in nordic paganism so so the historical period uh, i was looking to goes from more or less 400 ad until 1000 1100 ad mm-hmm. and uh, i don't know should i say i don't know the, the, the title of my thesis for whoever sure. might be interested yeah absolutely it's a long one but it's basically Aren't all thesis titles really long yeah perhaps <laughs> it seems like they all are quite long yeah and it needs to be fancy isn't it <laughs> yeah of course yeah but um it's from the temple to, uh, to your pocket, uh, roles, types, context of idols in Nordic paganism, 400, 1180. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a long one. <laughs> I, that's not the longest I've heard. No, that's true. I, I managed to contain myself a bit. At least mm-hmm. my supervisors were, were was happy uh, about yeah. it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Perfect. So we're gonna we're gonna get into that shortly, but I think we have to speak a little bit about the most recent rune oh, yeah. cave, the rune stone that's been found in, in Norway. I think it's the oldest one ever, kind of rechanges. So it seems, uh, yeah, because it was found within an archaeological context, which is not given, given for granted, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, uh, yeah, it comes from an archaeological context from a burial site. Uh, mm-hmm. in Norway, which means that they were able to date uh, the layers and the organic, like the, it comes from, uh, it was in correspondence of uh, cremation kind of burial, so they could mm-hmm. analyze the fragment of bones 
in the layer strata. And the carbon dating seems to suggest like the time frame between mm -hmm. zero or one AD till yeah. 250, mm -hmm. which, sorry, I'm, Is... I'm talking a lot. <laughs> no, 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 that's what you're, that's what you're here to do. So yeah, I, I've spent, I spent all day researching this, making notes, and then you've just come in and stole my thunder. Oops. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but I have, I have made some bullet points because I, I, I figure with this kind of stuff, uh, the sooner you can get the accurate information, the better, because I guess it gets diluted so fast, particularly I think when a lot of the original sources are going to be in Norwegian, and then you get British newspapers, American newspapers picking up on it and then having to like translate it from Norwegian and they probably add a little bit in and then it soon starts playing a game of telephone and, and the facts change. So <laughs> I was hoping to try and get some out there quite soon. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you, I've, I've actually checked these with Matthias Nordvig as well. So hopefully they're, they're accurate. I, I was a bit too, too nervous to, uh, to just do it without his approval. Of course, no, I understand. But I mean, I'm uh, not an expert uh, either. I know. I'm yeah, not a technologist, but uh, yeah. Absolutely. I think there's very limited information out there at the minute. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. For sure. So yeah, yeah I, I wanted to make some notes and then, like I said, check that they were accurate. So at least I'm giving the accurate information out because it's of this course. is super interesting. And, you know, it can it change in the changing the thoughts of of runestone carving in particular. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they are going now to analyze it obviously further and especially the rune uh, inscriptions and whatever, but we might need to rewrite history in that sense or like uh, re need to rethink about theories uh, about, mm -hmm. you know, runestones, the, how they originated and uh, since when they were already circulating and circulating and since when they, were being used, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's indeed is super interesting find. Yeah. Also because it comes from archaeological context. So in that sense, you can really back it up at least mm -hmm. a bit more than if it would have been just a random finding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the stone itself um, is made of Ringerich sandstone. Mm -hmm. It's 31 centimeters by 32 centimeters. And it's named after the place where it was discovered, which is Finger Svingerud, I think. Yeah, probably Norway, probably yeah. butchering Svingerud. the name. Svingerud in I think it was eastern Norway. And like as you said, it seems like it dates back to one to two hundred and fifty AD, which puts it which predates any other runestone yeah. carving yeah. that we have. Um it was found in autumn of two of twenty twenty one. And it was um Basically, a stone that has multiple carvings on it, and it was found with bones and charcoal, and they've used the bones and charcoal to to date it. Like you said, it's the um, it's the carbon dating of the the bones and the charcoal. So, I guess to to a limited degree, you have to assume that they were all buried there together. But I think there's no evidence to suggest that they're not, because obviously, you're the carbon dating the material around the stone. They can't date the actual stone itself. Yeah, and also the the other problem, let's say, with carbon dating is that obviously you never get uh, calendar data. It yeah. is not like it's from uh, AD 2000 feet. You know, it's mm -hmm. just, it, it gives yeah. you a temporal space, but between one and 250, oh, you know. It's, it's a long time. It's still, yeah, 2000 Absolutely, it's a, it's a long time, yeah. And it, so it, 
it seems that the runes on there are a variation of the Elder Fudak, and it's a. It seems like it's an ancient Nordic language that mm-hmm. seems to be the ancestor of the modern Nordic languages. So I guess that kind of shows a lineage all the way through. Um, the front face has eight runes, which clearly stand out, which I think is the one that most people will see the picture mm-hmm. pictures yeah. of those those eight runes that are kind of circulating around. But there are other inscriptions on it. Um, and when it's converted from Latin, it seems that it says Idiberug, I-D-I-B-E-R-U-G. Yeah. Um, and they thought this could possibly be the name of the person the name, yeah. Yeah, where he's really. buried. But obviously, again, there's so much more work to be done on it. Uh, they're not too sure. and or, or it could even be the name of Idibegu, which and maybe the last letter is in the wrong place. Because again, with runes, it's not an exact science on its own, let alone no. <laughs> when you're looking at something that predates everything that we already have. It makes it a little more difficult. It's more complicated, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, again, so again, the, the way of writing the old rules varied a lot based on your geographical location, who taught you, the memory of the person who was carving. There's no centralized document of like, no. this is, this letter means this. It's very much on the room carver's own kind of. Yeah, perspective and their own little they can play around with it as well and I think that's why we get such a, a varied thing um, obviously the language changed the language changed drastically from the time that it was carved through the Viking Age to the medieval age which makes it even more difficult to to interpret the runes and, and what they mean and some of the other inscriptions on there there is I don't know if you've seen it it's almost like someone was playing knots and crosses like a little Almost like a hashtag symbol carved yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which again seems very kind of peculiar. It's almost as if someone's playing around and, and practicing. Um, because again, there's, I think there's the first three letters of the Fudak on there. So there's the F, the U, and the Th, mm-hmm. which are all carved in in a line. So it's almost as if someone's practicing, having a feel about playing with with runes and and. Yeah, just having a go and kind of seeing what what, what they come up with. Um, so yeah, so the rune, these runes are the oldest known form of writing in Norway, uh, and also seemingly used to they and were seemingly used from the beginning of the current era all the way through the Viking Age to the medieval age with with runes. Obviously, I touched on that there. The alphabet of them is called the Fudak, and we get that with those three runes in that order mm-hmm. kind of suggest that the this can't be the first. Obviously, we always have to assume we don't find the first ever one. So if we find this one, there probably is something sooner. And I guess the idea that we, we have those three runes together is showing there's already this established alphabet so, yeah, that's that's the point, the, which is very yeah. interesting because that's, you know the dating is from let's say okay one to two two hundred and fifty, but in order to be carved, like it means that is already circulating mm-hmm. since some time before. Yeah, and there's already right. yeah there is there's so, already that somewhat structured hmm. for that organization of the runes. So it's already a somewhat organized thing so there it has to there has to be things older than that somewhere 
Sure. So that's very, very exciting. And I, I have some friends who are runologists and <laughs> yeah, they are like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. They're super excited about this finding, which obviously, obvious reasons, it's, it's very, very interesting find indeed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, so the best sources for information that I, I found were the two, two of the people who were working on, on the discovery in Norway. And it was uh, Krista Vashus and Crystal Zelma. And I think both of their Instagram, um, no, their Twitter pages have good feeds in English where you can kind of, they've documented it as, as they've gone through in a series of short tweets and in order, and you can have a look at their finds and, and get some accurate information from the horse's mouth, as you may say. And who knows if we don't find more, more fragments because they're still excavating in that site. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from what I heard, they also find other fragments uh, recently, maybe last August, September, because yeah. they ex- excavate more or less, yeah, I, I believe every summer season, like you usually mm-hmm. do during, in, in Scandinavia. Yeah. You use the summer to investigate. So who knows, maybe mm-hmm. we get more. <laughs> well, that's it. I think this, like say, so this was found in August, well, in autumn last year. So it's been kept quiet. For, for so to make, yeah, so maybe maybe they have already found other parts, but they're just not ready to reveal the information just yet. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> oh, you seem like you know something. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's get off that topic. Quick, quick. <laughs> uh, okay, no, let's let's talk about idols and I mean Again, as I was saying to you before the show, this is very much a an idiot asking an expert kind of podcast. So I, I feel honored. <laughs> you called an expert. What? I mean, yeah. I mean, I've been studying this material, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I also I'm I'm also a very humble person. I I'm just a postgraduate. Um, you know. Yeah. No, I, well, you know more than I do. And probably 99% of the people listening. So it's definitely going to be educational for, for us all. But like I said, it's usually, hopefully I can ask the questions that maybe scholars overlook sometimes and go under the radar because you're all kind of assuming a certain level of knowledge before you get into the conversations. Whereas I don't have much knowledge. So I'm <laughs> going to... Uh, then I'm here to share my knowledge ex- about this material. That's it. That's it, exactly. So uh, let's, I mean, let's start with what an idol is maybe, because you touched on it before, how it's a loaded kind of term. Yeah. So maybe let's start there. Yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, it's, it is a loaded term, especially in also in English language. But because it comes more, you know, it it was used during Christian times to talk, to identify what were considered like fake, uh, false gods, pagan gods, uh, to contrapose to like what was the the real uh, faith, the real belief that was the Christian God. So uh, I got uh, a bit of comments by other scholars like, are you sure you want to use it, you know, because... Um, basically, what I did in my thesis, I um, I didn't focus only on Nordic idols. In order to study them, I decided to do a cross-cultural, cross-cultural comparison uh, with the better-known uh, classical Mediterranean world. 
in which we have it's better study. I also come from that background. Uh, there's plenty of knowledge regarding the idols, like pagan idols in that context. Mm -hmm. So since we have um, more questions and less answers in the Nordic one, I decided why don't uh, start um, use a comparative method and put this work into communication and see if I manage to uh, answer my research questions. And therefore I built up a typology of idols. Some are derived from the classical world, others are just uh, properly Nordic, and mm -hmm. which this typology is just my neutral tool uh, within the comparative method, you know, it's nothing written in stone, it's just what helped me to try to answer certain questions. And then, of course, I needed a terminology that would be consistent. Um, so I was wondering like about the material I was dealing with and I had to, to go for a term and I decided to go for idols because any other term that would be maybe preferably less loaded than idol uh, would not work. Like, yeah. um, I don't know, image, figure, figurine, statuette, there would be either too broad, either too specific, mm -hmm. because I was dealing with several types um, of idols from big size to the tiny one Nordic yeah. call pocket idols to pillar idols, pendants, like something that I'm wearing here. Oh, well, and yeah. So, yeah. And so forth. So I needed also to go for something that would be coherent, um, mm -hmm. you know, in, in my text. And I believe that idol fits actually fits well because um, I don't want to use it in within this Christian optic, I'm using it more as in a neutral value, like something that is worshipped because mm -hmm. I am anal analyzing material and artifacts that I believe are re uh, religiously connoted kind of artifacts. So I'm dealing with uh, something that pertains religion, something that I believe pertains um, rituals, religious rituals. So idol, I think, fits in that sense uh, in wanting to analyze this material as something that uh, is worshipped and mm. in my personal view I also um, I, I connected a bit or to the Mercier Eliade for example definition of hierophanies so like idol to me the way I use it through my text is uh, something in this case which has anthropomorphic shape because that's what I was analyzing uh, specifically so something okay. endowed with anthropomorphic shape uh, through which the sacred is experienced by a person. So that was a bit my way to justify why I was using idol instead of figure or image or any other term. Okay, that, that brought me my first question. That just... Yeah, so if, if that uh, makes sense, uh, you can ask it, it does. No, no, it does <clears throat> because I think, I can't think of a, a different word in English that suits. Because like you say, if you use statue, statuette, it's, I'm thinking of something bigger, but it doesn't, you don't have to worship it. It could just be a statue or something. It, whereas yeah. it, a figure to me would be something small. Whereas you say an idol is, it can be big, it can be small, but it's also it has that connotation yeah. of something that's worshipped. And also figure would be too broad and too general. Anything can be a figure. And I wanted something that meant I'm looking into something that is religiously connoted. So that was vital for my, for my definition. And mm -hmm. I didn't use, for example, the word deities or gods. Like, 
yeah. pocket boards or whatever, because um, I believe that, and then we will, or, or I can just introduce it now, like what I was doing in my research, um, I wanted to ask other questions because when we you analyze Nordic idols, especially like this sort of pendants or like what I call pocket idols that are these tiny figurines fully uh, three-dimensional, um, mm. most of the research focus on trying to identify them with a specific god within the Nordic pantheon, yeah. uh, which is not really what I wanted to do with my thesis because I think that, I mean, it's a very interesting question to ask, but we can't really ask the question because we right. don't have really enough data to say this is necessarily 100% sure this is Thor rather than Frey rather than Odin. So uh, I didn't want to use uh, God or Deity because first we are not sure and idol can be more broad in that sense um, Can because you know the Nordic pantheon is not just about deities. There are other uh, mm-hmm. mythological creatures that are Alvar, that yeah. are Nizir, Valkyrior, Jotnar, Dvergar. So I wanted mm-hmm. idol, I think, was the word that the term would work better for my kind of yeah. uh, typology and the material yeah. I was mm-hmm. analyzing. No, I think it's I think it's the right word. It's yeah, without a doubt. Um but you mentioned that they had to be anthropomorphic. So yeah. For anybody listening that, that doesn't know what that means, it means in human, like taking a human form and a human, human shape. shape human. Um, is that because I got me thinking, like, do, first of all, do we know of any idols that aren't in human form and would they still class as an idol? Because obviously, we do have well known creatures from like the Nordic pantheon, I guess, like something like Fenrir, Yomanganda. Um, Slepnir, like, I don't know whether you would have an idol of those or a figurine. Do they exist? And would could they be idols? Not that we have found archaeologically. Um, so that's what I was doing. I was taking the archaeological material and artifacts. I, I made a list and I have a database. And then I was like, okay, there are several um, objects artifacts that have anthropomorphic, so human, humanoid shape. Therefore, mm. I decided to analyze those. Um, I argue in my thesis that maybe as we might read, you know, uh, in Völsafattur, there's, for example, I don't know if you know it, is like a short account in the Icelandic sagas in which uh, is uh, there's this old, rather old lady living in, uh, in Iceland doing these sorts of uh, repetitive rituals every evening using basically the cut penis of a horses that she dubbed as Volsi and she, she does uh, some sort of uh, rituals, she chants over it and this penis gets basically erected and she does rituals so um we might I feel, why do i feel like you set me up with this story like, <laughs> i feel like you're setting me up with this story i'm trying to be on my best behavior and there's too many jokes to make about that <laughs> it, it's it's very it's very fun and obviously it, it was written is an account that is maybe from 14th century it's arguable, like scholars argue, uh, now it's just Christian stuff. Obviously, I mean, there are a lot of grotesque uh, elements mm. 
in it if you even just the scene you know like this old lady chanting over uh, mm-hmm. horse penis you know it's obviously um yeah. but there are other elements that uh, you might argue you know maybe there's some through there's something mm-hmm. going on there um and we might argue that might have been a sort of idol within more a domestic um kind of cult um okay. this case in iceland um so we so could have a little only... we could have little penis pocket idols turning up is that what we're getting at who knows there are in a roman like roman context yeah. uh they were very fond of penises like they would also have like penises with some how, how do you call them uh rattles something that sounds you know with the air moving like a penis with some uh <laughs> it's my english <laughs> okay no, but, okay they would like hang them at the door of uh, so of kind of like a therapy. almost like a wind like a wind chime kind yeah, of yeah sort thing. of it it would be like it's called uh, apotropaico in function it would like chase away uh, evil or bad oh, energy okay. whatever because the penis was also connected to priapo the god mm-hmm. is a roman god like that is connected to fertility abundance and uh you know it's like a good thing to have at the door so um i need I mean. one of these i need one <laughs> if anyone can get hold of one please send me one because i, I, I will I <laughs> you just... find them also in some shops also in pompeii or sort of like they found some um, oh really Yeah, you can see this stuff in museums. Like, yeah, Romans were very much into penises and uh, <laughs> in that sense. But uh, you find like penises in Nordic context too, uh, if you mm-hmm. think since the Bronze Age uh, carvings and mm-hmm. and stuff. So, at what point do you think this is, this is going way off topic? But at what point do you think it became quite? taboo because there's so there must have been at some point where there was a change from like it being quite open and nobody cares everyone's got everyone's got one you know they're all different sizes or whatever like at some point like it seemed like not many people cared and then at some point it's like now everyone's really shy about their their body uh, and i'm not sure but i think it's rather modern because even just like if you think Volsa Thautur is recorded like written down in 14th century by Christian people and still they bother to write about it and of course there are grotesque elements but it's something that they were fine writing and handing down so and um we don't have any this account like people were arguing maybe it's just christian inventiveness so there's nothing real about it because you, we don't have a corrective in Icelandic folklore, uh, but we do have um, a corrective in uh, Faroese folklore, where until the 19th or early 20th, 20th century, during marriages, they would uh, pass around, like, you know, people come together to celebrate, and they would pass around not a penis, but uh, um, a tail of a ram, mm-hmm. That would be, okay. uh, yeah, and it, yeah. it passes around and every people who receives it in circle, he needs to chant the rimur or chant whatever over it before passing it. That reminds uh, uh, what's going on actually in voice of author, the Icelandic accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, 
I, I think it's rather modern. Like we became more like, you know, you yeah. don't talk, you don't it, say, you don't. Yeah, I think it is very, a very modern thing. And hopefully we, we get out of that. <laughs> hopefully it changes. Everyone be free again. Everyone be free. Who cares? Um, okay, let's get back to idols specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you can tell me. I, I'll tell you what I think an abnordic idol is or would be, and then you can maybe tell me if okay. I'm wrong, which <laughs> okay. usually is what happens. Uh, so I would say that it would either be – if it was a large – one I would say would probably be made of wood, like a, a wooden carving in the shape of to re- well to represent a god. That would be my thought. It was that it would be probably got one of the one of the main gods, probably like like you say Odin, Thor, Freya, mm-hmm. Freya, mm-hmm. like one of one of those kind of like top tier gods, <laughs> and then the same with like a, a pocket one that it would probably be maybe of bronze or maybe like bone, something like that. Mm-hmm. And there would be more of like a, maybe a couple of inch in high, usually sat on a throne of some sort. And so that's what I, those, they would be my two types of idols. Well, that's, that's actually correct. And they are both into my typology. Um, but I eventually got seven categories. So um, I okay. was, uh, yeah which is interesting. Maybe there are more, mm-hmm. but the seven are the one I, I analyzed in my thesis. And, uh, well, idols pertaining to domestic cult, because I started, as I said, I did a cross-cultural comparison, right, with the Greek and Roman world, because we have huge quantity of archaeological data and we have way more answers in that field. So uh, the first four types of my Nordic typology derives from the Mediterranean one. And then I discuss idols that are just Nordic, at least they look properly Nordic. So we have idols pertaining to the domestic cult, idols as offerings to the deities, um, idol as part of grave goods. So something that you find in a burial, for example. Mm-hmm. And idols, like as you said, like the more big size, big idols in sacral, more public kind of buildings, um, mm-hmm. which very likely, yes, they were in wood. And it would be awesome if we would have examples <laughs> now to work on. We we don't, unfortunately. We don't. Okay. Um, yeah. I, just before I forget this, um, at the in the state of churches, am I right in thinking that yeah. on top of some of the pillars... They have little figures. Would they class as idols? So I for anybody, just, just to explain what they are. So inside the stave churches, obviously you get the staves, the big pillars that, that go up, which are holding up. Mm-hmm. And inside, mm-hmm. at the top of those, and quite a few, if I'm right, they have little figures. which tend faces. To be, yeah, well, faces of the different gods, which I guess was maybe... Yeah, to uh, look down on people. I'm not for sure example, they... for example, in Hege um, State Church in Norway, there is also very super famous one, the one that is called Odin Mask, even though it's dated 13th century, so obviously it's a bit mm-hmm. late. But uh, is the one that has uh, this face with just one eye and this dangling tongue, so maybe mm-hmm. perhaps an angst man, you know, like yeah. Roman 
reminding of Odin. Uh, mm. Yeah, indeed. Um, those is what I would define more, like, not specifically what you find in state churches because it's a bit temporally is uh, after the Viking yeah. Age. Mm-hmm. But to give an example, um, they might is what I call more pillar idols that might very well existed in the in the Nordic context in uh, okay. yeah, iron, especially Viking Age. Um, for example, uh, the Önveisuler that are like the high seat pillars that we find uh, plenty of description also in written sources. Um, you know, like Landnamabok or Erbikia Saga, for example, where you have a count of, uh, in this case, this character Thorolf or Mostraskeg that uh, moves from Norway to Iceland and he decides to uh, bring his hof, his temple, to Iceland. Mm-hmm. And uh, among the several pillars, there are two, especially, especially one, uh, which has uh, the face of, they say, Thor, Thor is carved in it, and then they use it. You know, they throw it. They are on the on the ship. They throw it in the sea, and then they wait until Thor comes to land in Iceland, which is the point where they're going to settle, and then okay. they build up yeah. the temple again. Um, mm-hmm. So that is more. I don't think. To me, I call it more a possible pillar idol because despite they are three-dimensional, but they are not endowed with full relief as other big size idol. We get uh, many accounts in the sagas about mm-hmm. the, how they would look like, as you said, maybe in wood, uh, sitting on a throne and uh, they mention like Thor or Freyr and, and stuff. And they, they would be in sacred buildings like what we call Hof temples. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so okay. his pillar idol is another possible. Oh, I jumped, uh, I jumped the gun! I jumped the gun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what? What are the what are the last ones before I ask any more questions? Uh, so we have pillar idols was the fifth, then uh, possible pendant idols representing either gods, deities, or not necessarily like what I'm wearing now. For example, this mm. is a replica from Sweden. Yeah. And and then the last is pocket idols. <laughs> what okay. I, I call pocket idols. So mm-hmm. seven different types, um, at mm. least so far from what I analyzed. So okay. <laughs> so you, you mentioned pill um pendant idols. Yeah. Now clearly everyone knows of Milner as the it's kind of like mm-hmm. an amulet type. Would, yeah. I, that's, I guess that's not strictly an idol, but obviously it's a very clear representation of a single god. So where does that sit? So where didn't you well? So sorry, where where would that sit in kind of the the scale of things? Because it's not it's not an idol because it's not a figure of him, but no, it is very much no. a, a kind of um, representation of him. That's that's a very interesting question. Um, I, I didn't really include it in my typology because I had to select and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm only dealing with anthropomorphic, so humanoid shape, figurative yeah. shape. Uh, but it's very interesting because it's one kind of pendant that is very, very recurrent in uh, all Scandinavia, coming from different archaeological contexts. Um, is called the Thor hammer for well a reason. It, it could be a very very good interpretation for it. So and also very interestingly enough, uh, is found mostly when it's found in burial context, 
the 90% of times, if not more, is found in female uh, or what we can judge as female kind of burials, which oh. that's that's very interesting. But I, there, I didn't there are so there's so many Viking bros with their with their big chains and the big millers hanging down here. They're so upset. You just said that. They're so they're, yeah. They're upset. They're taking like, them off and they're so throwing them across the room. They're like, <laughs> I don't want this anymore. <laughs> yeah, they're fuck. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was mostly yeah in female bodies. Right. So it was mostly women wearing it, which is super cool. I I think. Okay, I'm gonna have to ask: Is do you think? Do you know, or can you guess as to why that might be? It's it's hard to say. Uh, it's for the same reason. Also, all these kinds of pendants, for example, like the so-called Valkyrie type and whatever. It seems really, according to archaeological data, that would be mostly women wearing this. Uh, it might be that it might connect, you know, there are different interpretations. It could be more of a ritualistic purpose, or it could be just, you know, ornamental. It could be a status like stating what's, what's your social class, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be that women, perhaps, they could manifest more to people their, um, how can I say, their religious identity more towards this kind of artifacts, while men, they were maybe more actively participating in rituals, perhaps. So okay. they would not need maybe this kind of ornamentation because they would manifest their, uh, like they would be active, religiously active in... Okay, more, in another way. Know. Yeah, so, but it's, a, it's an open question. Like yeah. there's no definitive uh, answer uh, no. to it. Yeah, that may, I think that makes sense because obviously when you think of Thor, he is very much the most stereotypical manly character. You know, he's drinking a lot, he's eating a lot, he's this big... Yeah, he gets angry well, often. Yeah, he gets angry, yeah, that's one, that's definitely on there. He's, he's big, butch, kind of strength, a little bit... A little bit dim at times and quite quite kind of Neanderthal like. Um, so you would assume that it would be more men that would kind of certainly. I mean, certainly nowadays, I would assume it's probably more men that. Yeah, yeah. I see more men wearing it rather than uh, than girls. Yeah. So you would uh, you you would just assume that it was the same yeah. back then. So it's very interesting that you say. Yeah. The archaeological data, yeah, suggests something mm. different. So that's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, that's, that is fascinating. Okay, so we're going to, I think if we finish on pocket idols, because I know that's the one that we wanted to yeah. focus on. So I'll try and ask my questions about all the other ones first, and then we'll, yeah. we'll go to the We to have the to make it briefly because I'm very aware. Like It was a long thesis, very structured. So one mm-hmm. hour, I'm not sure it's going to be enough no, to talk if, about it, if you've got the time, I don't mind going a little bit longer. It depends on if you've got somewhere to be. I have nothing to do. Oh, we so, we can we can go a little bit longer. Don't don't worry. If, We're not. If people are not bored by the topic or anything, mm. I'm sure. I'm interested to sob them. Good. <laughs> they can they can listen if they want. If not, well, I'm interested. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> okay. So do we have do we have no wooden ones? from like the Viking Age specifically? Not from the Viking Age specifically. We have something from the Bronze Age. Uh, 
um, okay. like the Brandenburg, the, the very tall uh, anthropomorphic figure with a very long phallus in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we have uh, one specimen, like uh, one let's call it idol. It was found uh, random finding, but upright on a bog in Denmark. Okay. So, right. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, it's called Rude, Rude Eskilstörp. Sorry if there's any Danish people here. I don't know Danish. Possibly pronunciation sucks, <laughs> but uh, that's very interesting. That is the closest we can get because it's uh, dated more or less 500 AD. So it's okay. not as old as the Bronze Age. It's a bit more, it's already Iron Age, but Viking Age, not, not at the moment. Okay. Um, okay, so, we have, so we have before and we have after. So here's my question. Do we get people who then say they clearly didn't make idols out of wood because we don't have one? Because I feel like that's something from doing this yeah, show. For it's that something long, that people might say, yeah, like, oh, you don't have evidence. But, um, well, we have a lot of accounts, which obviously it's okay. It's sagas or accounts they're written down in christian times so you have to Mm -hmm. be aware you have to have source criticism okay fine but there are a lot of accounts and and also you know wood is a very organic material it's i i'm sure it was there it simply didn't got preserved and that's just Mm -hmm. a very logic explanation you know um unfortunately what got preserved is just it happened just by chance and we, we were just very lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And it's, I just ask because it's something that's come up time and time again on the podcast, particularly when it comes to musical instruments that you get people that are like, Oh, they fucking didn't have music because we don't have a yeah, drum. Exactly. From, and I think, like, yeah, they probably did have drums. We just don't have one. I'm very sure they did. And also, if you look at the um, the tradition that comes after, for example, the churches in Norway, the staff church is made completely in wood. And mm-hmm. obviously, if you also think about the context, the geographical context in Scandinavia would, would be the main material, oh. right? Especially if you want to uh, create an idol that is in big, big size, you, you can't do it out of bone, right? Out of bone would would be a tiny object but if you want mm-hmm. something grand you don't have marble like greek and romans but yeah. you have a lot of forest and wood so mm-hmm. it would make sense also for the for the context oh uh, yeah absolutely it's such an important building material still today this all the houses are made out of wood so it it would Indeed. make perfect that's true it would make perfect sense so i guess my next question is if, uh, god posts is that's what I guess that's what I would think of when I think of a an idol that's big, maybe like four foot, five foot in height, um made from like a single pillar of wood that's then carved, usually with like a figure standing with, you know, usually quite a big head. Mm-hmm. And then it's but it but it's all in like that single so that so the head is the width of the of like the the pillar and then you get like the little shoulders and and the legs and tend to be stood mm-hmm. how accurate are those are they just more of a a modern thing well well it depends uh if according to sagas uh they are more like effigies like human size like 
So there are some descriptions that say, okay, they're sitting in throne or they are um, as big as a man, like a real man. Okay. So maybe they are not so monumental uh, as you might imagine, uh, but mm-hmm. big enough to have, you know, real size, let's say. Um, yeah. Then if, if we suppose that... Uh, um, those real size effigies they would be more in what we can call temples or sacred buildings and that are more indoor enclosed area then mm-hmm. if we suppose that they also had pillars more outdoors like sort of pillar idols maybe something that is way taller is not so well detailed card but it has a face like we have some accounts about that mm-hmm. too like for example Ib Fadlan um, that's talks about these sort of pillars uh, in circle that have face and people give offering to them and they they call maybe the main figure lord that's the, the translation from the uh, for, from the arabic text mm. and you know so maybe it's something uh, taller more like you imagine like something more you know straight yeah. out from one the trunk of wood and has yeah. a face and we have some accounts about that we don't have the material unfortunately mm-hmm. um we have though um archaeologically um sometimes uh, in certain sites like uh, i remember i was writing about tissue uh, in denmark sometimes you find some post holes in the layer you know in the ground Mm-hmm. There's no, you don't have the pillars any longer because that's disintegrated yeah. because it's organic material. But you have the the trace in negative on the on the layer, the soil layer, mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, you find it, you find them not necessarily with uh, in line or uh, not okay. necessarily having uh, um, a plant that might be like a building. So. There's no real structure in that. You just find them and with layers that are supposed to be, they are um, interpreted as ritual sort of layers. So you have like uh, leftovers of organic food, bones of animals that might have been sacrificed. And they these places usually are outside enough from the main village or whatever. So there's no real interpretation of, oh, that was just a settlement where people would eat. You know, the, maybe the interpretation of, you know, something more ritualistic going on here is maybe, you know, uh, the good interpretation to go for. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we don't have physically um, a pillar or a big size uh, idol from Viking Gate, unfortunately. No, I think that, that that's so fascinating because I never thought of a post hole like that. Obviously, I knew that they used them to map buildings and, and look at, you know, where... The, the structural beams would be, I guess. But I never thought of, like, if you just get one over here on its own, then maybe you could look into that, especially if it's got what see, is seemingly ritualistic items around it. Um, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. There are also, um, indeed, there are also pillars uh, that sometimes you don't just find fragments of bones, but you find the, the whole head uh, of a horse, for example. Okay. Or yeah. a goat or a dog. Uh, you find that in Uppsala, for example, what has been uh, interpreted as the ritual road 
heating, you know, in Gamla Uppsala, you have mm-hmm. these pillars in line. And um, when when they dig them up, they had the postals, obviously, not the pillar any longer, but within the filling of the postals, you find like whole uh, skulls of animal and other bones of animals that obviously were sacrificed and mm-hmm. hunged there. So there was something going on, I believe, with pillars or pillar idols in, in Nordic, uh, Scandin- mm. in Scandinavia, Nordic times. Yeah, I, I oh. believe so. It's just, it's maybe harder to prove, but uh, we have some data there. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, so, it's so fun how much you can speculate. And, and I think that's part of the interest in all of, of this for a lot of people, particularly when it comes to like Viking Age, Nordic mythology, because there are so many holes in between what well, you know that people can kind of interpret this and apply it to themselves and, and really kind of make it personal. And I find it so fascinating. I often find myself wondering if I could just go there and look and see, like, would I want to? Because would it ruin it? Would it kind of just not be what I was expecting maybe? <laughs> Maybe we are discussing about rituals and then there was nothing about rituals at all. They were just, I don't know, doing random stuff. Exactly. <laughs> no, and, but... And Thor was just this, yeah. really, Thor was this really skinny man. He he wasn't the, the, booming, <laughs> the booming masculine figure that everyone thinks he was. <laughs> he could just all be ruined in a, in a moment. Um, m- okay. Moment. <laughs> That's it. So... Let's talk about pendant idols before we, we go to, yeah. to pocket because I am fascinated by that. Um, so what or who do we know? Because, again, interestingly enough, you said earlier on about how everybody wants to know what or who the idol is. And I guess that's what I would do. If I found a little yeah. figure, I'd be like, who's this? And that would be I the know. first thing I'd want to know. It's like, who is it? What can I look at? It? Well, how can I figure it out? Um, so do we know... Or who do we have? Sko, as they would say here in Icelandic, like so. Okay. Uh, I don't believe we can really answer the question, like honest opinion. We can speculate about it. No harm in doing, say, okay, this might be a Valkyrie or like, uh, I don't know, a harmony figurine might be a shield maiden or a Valkyrie or this. It's fine. The point is that we, we can't say, like, um, the example I, I use uh, to explain it to people is, for example, in a classic and Roman and Greek uh, in context, when you have a certain uh, iconographical representation of a god or whatever, we know that that is Heracle or that is uh, Zeus rather than Minerva, not just because we have a lot of uh, written accounts that describe their iconography, but because we have, like, inscriptions. Uh, right, so this is Zeus, the mighty god, whatever. So we know that that's how that's Zeus, and therefore the iconography repeats always yeah. through time. So every time we find a new statue in Greek, uh, in Greece, sorry, or like in some place that was once the Roman Empire, as soon as we dig it up, we look at the iconography and we know, okay, this is Minerva, this is. 
Apollo and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Because we have also the archaeological data backing up because you find the description. We do not have anything of this sort in the Nordic context, unfortunately, because I would also love to say, oh, this is absolutely for how they would imagine it and how they would portray it, you know, it would be so cool. But um, but, but we, we can't really. So my what I was trying to do with my thesis, it was like, I know that there's a lot of temptation to try to, identi- uh, to, to, to give an identity, identify the figure mm-hmm. in you're dealing with, but uh, you end up, you might end up being a bit stuck, like arguing if it's this character A or B, and then maybe not looking into, I don't know, what was the religious context, uh, what does the archaeological data suggest about this artifact that was produced, how was how was it employed? Like, for example, this, mm-hmm. and then we will go also for not just pendants, but pocket idols, because they do exist, right, in the archaeological uh, data uh, database. But what are they, not necessarily which identity do they have, but what, why do they exist? Do they exist? Mm-hmm. How they were employed by people? You know, mm-hmm. I think there are maybe many more interesting uh, questions to ask about rather than be fixated about, oh, is Thor? No, is Odin? No, I say it's Freyr. And I'm like, okay, we can't know anyways. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's my personal approach to it. But um, I, I wish I could know, obviously. I am dying of curiosity to know if that's really, you know, Thor or Freyr. Or, but, um, but yeah, we, we can't know, really. Yeah. Do I answer your question? No, <laughs> your you do. Question? And I, I think that's very commendable in, in you and obviously your research. And it means that you stay very, very objective because it must be hard to to not put your own feelings in there and and it's kind of fun giving it a name bringing it to life it just adds that little bit of something to it but also i imagine it can be very leading if you think it's odin then you start looking maybe at other aspects of it and it's oh is that a spear yeah. does he have one eye is it this um so it could maybe lead you down the wrong path as well so i think it's yeah very commendable to stay as focused and just be i'm going to look at this as as it is and what it is and see what we can determine without being led yeah so yeah that's what i was trying to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so when it comes to pendants um like how common were they do we do we have a lot of them and, and what do you think their purpose would be to have this little idol figure around your neck Well, pendants are super common in Scandinavia, all sorts of pendants, not just anthropomorphic ones, so with humanoid shape. Uh, we have, I think, some thousands uh, of mm-hmm. different kinds, you know, Thor summer, the so-called Thor summer, Valkyrie, so-called Valkyries, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, like swords and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the humanoid, the one endowed with humanoid shape, though, are way less common in proportion. Uh, I think, at least in my thesis, I was using um, a PhD thesis from Bo Jensen, that is a scholar that was analyzing pendants in general in Scandinavia, especially during the late Iron Age, Viking Age. So he was dealing with huge amount of data. And 
what he had about uh, anthropomorphic uh, pendants, they were no more than 50 specimens on thousands of okay. uh, other kinds of pendants. Mm. So they are not so common. Uh, it's also true that his thesis was from 2010, so it might be that now we have more uh, pendants like this because, you know, like, you excavate more. There's a, a lot of uh, metal detecting going on in the last mm. year. So you always find a lot of new material. So um, I also have, for example, to catch up a bit because I wrote my thesis and submitted in September, October. I'm already sure that my database is outdated <laughs> because mm. almost yeah. every day they find new things by metal yeah, detecting. So, um, so in numbers they're not as common and as other kinds of pendants, which is interesting. Uh, the context, the archaeological context in which they are found uh, are mostly in burials, mm -hmm. um, female one. Okay. Uh, they are sometimes found in uh, layers of, you know, settlements uh, or as random findings. So you don't really have an archaeological context in that sense. But most of them are from uh, the funerary kind of context. So in a burial, um, which is interesting because it might be really then uh, they go into, you know, they are part of the grave goods because they were really some items that were worn and uh, used by the person mm -hmm. that eventually then dies and is buried yeah. with, with it. Um, and yeah, I call them pendants because I wanted to keep more a neutral um, value to, to okay. the term yeah. because yeah, yeah. archaeology sometimes they interchangeably use jewels, amulets, pendants, but it's not exactly the same thing. So a pendant mm -hmm. can be a jewel, a pendant can be an amulet. If yeah, it's a little more, like we, it's a little more universal. Yeah, but I believe they could have been amulets. At least the fact that you find them in a funerary, funerary sorry, like in a burial kind of mm. context, it might fit as interpretation, yeah. like an amulet, okay. something that you can, as a ritual, religious, um, magical kind of uh, purpose. So this mm. might be, let's say that is really a Valkyrie or a Dis, like a goddess, a Dis, that you uh, believe in and then you want to wear it on you because, you know, even just touching it or wearing it might be something that can protect you or mm. uh, she's always with you somewhat, you know, it, it's an interpretation that I think can fit um, mm -hmm. if you want to go, yeah, towards that direction. Indeed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would it would make perfect sense. This, I mean, even just this whole, this whole conversation, you've been kind of, holding the one around your neck you've been yeah, rubbing it true. and kind of and it, it's that it's that kind of feel it's there it's very it feels comfortable actually i, I like yeah, to do it it's it's <laughs> almost bringing its own to life in the conversation yeah um so would they tend to be two-dimensional like the one that you're wearing or do we find three-dimensional pendants we have one example of uh at least in scandinavia uh, of a three-dimensional one that is the one from Hortby in Denmark. Okay. That is the so-called shield maiden. It's like this uh, female figurine with uh, armored with a sword and a shield. 
um, which is a rather unique uh, find because usually they are, well, I call them two and a half dimensional because whatever, but yeah, usually they are like this. They are not, they don't have a full three-dimensionality except the Horde or B, uh, Danish one, which it's very cool because that could also be potentially a pocket idol that you can also wear. So either you keep it in your pouch or you can also wear it. So much. Oh, we got a little crossover. (laughs) I like like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that happens very often with um, archaeological artifacts. Um, like, like, for example, then we will also, I, th- I think, soon move to, to the pocket idols. But mm. uh, there are some, at least we have an example of one possible pocket idol found here in Iceland made out of bone. This very famous Baldur Seymour figurine that is found in archaeological context and it was found in a burial mound. So you see, according to my typology, okay, that's something that you find in a grave goods. So idols as part of a grave goods, but before ending there, it was obviously used. So you have to go out of that context and go back, you know, mm-hmm. while this object was uh, living with the owner, then it was maybe a pocket idol. And, yeah. you know, it's it's not you ju- you don't go just for compartments like the arti- um, artifacts are archaeological uh, archaeological culture artifacts they they can have different function you know uh, mm-hmm. they they are so sort of alive you know yeah for the same yeah. reason when for example they get destroyed and put in the burial they die sort of because they have to follow the owner just an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it made, it made perfect sense because you all have to look at today with with culture. I can't think of a an example off the top of my head, but you always get okay. I do have an example. Might not be the best example, so Go ahead. <laughs> might be a good example. I'm not, I'm not. I haven't made my mind up yet. <laughs> okay, so do you know what a what a bum bag is or a fanny pack in in America? I, I can't hear you so well. Okay, so do you know what a, a bum bag is or a fanny pack? You know, no? like the like the the bag the the bag that you wear around your waist that tourists wear to keep their their uh, yeah, passport. Yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know them. Yeah, yeah. But sure, then, sure, sure. but then now yeah. in in more modern culture, you tend to see a lot of people wearing them like over the shoulder. Um, is they're, right. they're too cool. They're too cool to wear them around the waist, so they wear them across the shoulder, and it's a little bit more socially acceptable these days. But, but I guess it's it's a similar type of sort of thing where you have this the exact same item, but depending on yeah, yeah. the culture, the person, it can be worn in different ways and take on a different life. And I'm sure there's a much better example yeah. than that. But that's all I had. <laughs> But it That's works. The best I, <laughs> I get what you mean. I think it works. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let, let's yeah, go yeah. to pocket idols. I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a bunch of questions about these. Um, maybe, sure. maybe you start with what you would qualify as a pocket idol or what classes as a pocket idol. So, according to my definition, uh, 
uh, a pocket idol is um, anthropomorphic, so humanoid-shaped kind of mm. idols. is three-dimensional. It is tiny, like according to my database, um, goes maybe from three, four, three centimeters up to even 10. But usually, um, actually, I have, where is it? I have an example here. This is a replica. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's the old ARR image uh, from Iceland. This is the one that um, I was going to ask? That is this between six and seven. I have him as yeah. well. This, this was the <laughs> one I was going to ask you. This was the one that I was going to ask you about. Um, yeah. so, so something that's that... in a pouch, something tiny, portable, like this. Mm -hmm. Okay, we will we'll save the specifics of this little gentleman. Yeah. We'll come we'll come back to him once we've established what a pocket idol is. Yeah. Okay, so it's a small little figure that can fit in a in a pouch that you can sort of carry with you. It's humanoid. Um so my first question is what's the point of it? Because it has no, I guess it has no, it has no real use. You can use it for something. It doesn't do anything. It's not on show where like around your neck, it's not a fashion accessory. It's just this little thing that you put in your pouch that you carry with you for some reason. Um, so yeah, well, what do you think the reason is? Well, that's a very good question. We we don't have safe answers, but we might give uh, possible interpretations. Um, well, yeah, it's something that you carry with you, right? Uh, I also derived my definition because there are few, very few, two, three um, written accounts in sagas that they say this person had uh, what we can call a pocket idol, a tiny figurine anthropomorphic figuring and he would keep it in the pouch. We have no whatsoever any kind of detail or indication um, what they would do with these <laughs> artifacts, okay. just they keep them in the pouch. Um, okay. So now we have to use a bit our interpretation, our imagination, like what are they there for? Um, well, there might be amulets, again, something that you want to carry with you for good protection or whatever. Um, maybe they were more actively used. Maybe it's what I believe is like they are obviously religiously connoted kind of artifacts, um, possibly employed in re private sort of ritual, you know, mm -hmm. private rituals, I would say. So I don't know, maybe once you are alone and maybe you're far from home, you can't go to the temple and uh, you let's say you are very much a believer of Thor or Frey. And in that moment, you feel that you're having, I don't know, your moment of spirituality and you carry it in your pouch. So instead of just carrying it, you might actively take it out. And I don't know, pray, mm -hmm. uh, do some sort of ritual. I don't know, mm -hmm. light a fire and give an offering to the, I, I don't know. Obviously we are going yeah. into speculation or mm -hmm. as I want to call it, interpretation possible mm -hmm. interpretation obviously yeah. there's a question mark uh, at the end of it um but yeah like i think they were also done to not just to be carried but also to be touched maybe to mm -hmm. behold 
Um, for example, like this one is usually interpreted as Thor. Obviously, we don't know. I think among all kinds of different idols being certain gods or deities, this might actually be Thor, but I, 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 I don't know, obviously. But the, let's say that... Um, <laughs> the, this was the one that I was going to ask you about, because when you said that you yeah. couldn't... You weren't didn't really want to say who they were. Now, for, for, no. for the people that are just listening, this is a figure who sat on a, a seat, a throne. Yeah. He has what looks very much like uh, a, well, what we would say would be Milner or an upside-down cross um, in between yeah. his legs. And he has a little pointy hat on. We'll, we'll put a... It has like mustache. It does have a mustache, so we'll we'll put a link to it in the show notes so everyone can see it. But it is quite an iconic figure. I think a lot of people will have yeah. will have seen this. Um, and he, just yeah. just looking at it, I think the average person would just go, "Okay, that's Thor." Like, of course, he's Thor. He's, he's holding yeah. that one. But you <laughs> yeah, said yeah. maybe not. Well, we again we can't know with certainty. I mean, it would be also if on the back it would be carved like Thor, then we, yeah. we would know. Uh, someone in the chat says that dwarves had Amers too. That's quite right. Berger had Amers too, so it's open to question. Um, but there's a very interesting um, book by Richard Perkins that, well, he's rather convinced that this, this might actually be Thor, and he argues it uh, quite well. And he also used some um, material like Adam of Bremen and other sources like they uh, that connect Thor with um, not just the thunderbolt, but with air, and uh, like he can produce wind, for example, is a god that you might want to um, pray uh, if you are into seafaring, for example, mm-hmm. if you're a sailor or whatever. And in this image, like it seems that he's splitting his beard, like as if he would blow on it. And we have uh, a Thauter, a small um, account in the Icelandic sagas, which says that um, he's, he, he generates wings uh, uh, yeah, when he splits his beard and blows into it. So there are some elements for which this could be an inter- Yeah, it could be Thor. Okay. And I like the idea because uh, mm. since we have this pocket idol i can i mean can you imagine i can imagine maybe a person um that is maybe leaving norway and going to iceland for example and he's very much a believer in thor and maybe he has a pocket idols exactly like these and maybe while he's uh going into you know he's shipping to to reach iceland and you know back in the days like the weather mm-hmm. could turn bad and you could yeah. easily drown so Maybe, maybe you you had it in your pouch and then maybe you see some clouds and the weather doesn't look very nice, you know, it might be Mm -hmm. dangerous. So maybe you touch it or rub it or maybe you uh, take it out of your pouch and you do some sort of ritual or you talk with Mm -hmm. it or whatever, you know. Obviously, I'm letting my imagination uh, Mm -hmm. run, but... um, Perhaps. I mean, like the question is still there, right? How they were used, because obviously we have archaeological data about these figurines. Yeah. And as you said, they don't have real practical purpose. They are not tools. Mm-hmm. Um, so why are they there? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So how so, how common are they? Do we have well, a lot of them? We don't have a lot, but we have enough. Uh, I would say we have in Scandinavia and also in England, for example, we have, I think, at least, uh, at least these three-dimensional, uh, at least around 30 or more specimen um, of figurines. Uh, there mm. might be, I do believe there might be more. It's just, you know, there's so much that we still need to ex excavate. There's so much mm. that needs to be found because most of them, actually, almost all of them, unfortunately, they don't really have a safe archaeological context. Usually they are stray finds. Um, many, okay. many of them, especially also in England and now in Denmark, they come from metal detecting. So people authorized to go metal detecting, they go in a field and then in the thingy beeps and then they dig a bit and they, oh, wow, an anthropomorphic figurine, another one. But yeah. the archaeological context is a bit, who knows if if you would make an excavation every time you find a figurine, if you find, I don't know, a settlement, a temple, or maybe you find nothing, there was maybe it was something that just dropped out um, of the pouch of a person who was uh, carrying it. Um, and, and how many British so, farmers have one of those sat on the mantelpiece that they never declared, <laughs> that they just found in the field and was like, this is cool, I'm just going to take this home. This is cool, I'm going to keep it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure that must happen all the time. Oh, yeah, it happens all the time with archaeological stuff. In Italy, too. Don't let me start. No, really. <laughs> um, so do, do they all tend to be made of metal, or do we have bone ones, wooden ones, or, or is it a case that like, they may be wood ones, but they've decomposed? We have. Yeah, sure. I mean, we have a bone one that is the other Icelandic one that looks very much like this. Is a very famous Baldur Seymour. Uh, it was found, both were found in North Iceland. Just this has no archaeological context. The other one comes from uh, a burial mound. Um, so that is in bone and it got preserved. Um, but that's the only example that I can think about. Most of them are like in metal, but here we go again. Uh, there might have been way more. Uh, possible pocket idols maybe made, yeah, in bone and wood, but they just mm. didn't make it uh, to our modern days because it's organic mm. material, so it, yeah, you know, it I, doesn't preserve. I would probably think that it would be quite expensive to have a bronze one. This would be more expensive, yeah. So, so maybe the everyday person would just have a little wooden one. Yeah, wood or bone would be way cheaper, uh, mm. indeed. Because my mine would be like a little stick person that I made myself, and it would just be like it would be like <laughs> twig, like a little twig, little twig man that just had like <laughs> twigs for arms, twigs for legs, and he'd be like, I'd be like, this is born. He stayed in my pouch because that's the best I can do. <laughs> but I'm sure, like I'm sure everybody was also like this, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure everybody it's had their own. That. Yeah, of course. I mean, why not? Uh, it's something that I believe it was very private. Is So you can have what you want, basically. And that's also why I think we have so little in the, in the written sources. Mm -hmm. Like, 
just mostly two accounts like Alfred Arsaga and Bastella Saga. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this dude has uh, this Lichneski or Hlutur, that's the old Norse words, some Lichneskiaman, so this thing that has the shape of a man, tiny, and he keeps it in the pouch. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, um, I guess not it, much more. I guess it's not really a, an amazing part of a story to start talking about someone having a little thing in the little figure in their pouch. So it's probably not going to make it into to many, I guess. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe also the writers who were uh, writing down this material, they were not, not familiar, familiar with it. They were maybe more familiar with the idea of big idols, big size idols, because they, uh, you know, Christians, they also had maybe the statue of Virgin Mary or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or they were familiar with, um, they were uh, Latin learned. So they say, oh, okay, these idols, yeah, they are enthroned, they are triads, whatever. Like they also have the classics in their mind, right? Because those mm-hmm. are learned people who write down uh, this material. So, but about these, maybe they would not relate or maybe simply it was something so personal, private, that it didn't really make too much yeah. into um, the, the writing record. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, possible. Um, okay, so the, the only other little, little figures that I can think of would be like the, the Lewis, Lewis Munchest set. Now, would they class as little idols? Obviously, yeah. they're, part, they're part of like a chess set, but also yeah, they are, yeah. they're, they're obviously very ornate and taking a lot of time to make. Um, yeah, yeah. They're expensive. They are made in ivory, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's also expensive material. They are medieval. Uh, so even though there's the one biting the, the shield, maybe. Yes. It's the one that you have in mind. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's uh, quite a famous one. Um yeah, the other interpretation, like for example, also for this Erland image and the Baldur Seymour, the, the one in bone that was mm-hmm. found in a burial site. Uh, the other interpretation is like, it's just like the king or the main figure of a sort of chess game that in all Norse is called uh, Nebatapl. Mm-hmm. Uh, because also the, the Baldur Seymour figurine is found with other tiny bone pieces uh, that could mm-hmm. be the other parts uh, of, of the game. Um, Perkins, for example, says that, okay, yeah, the fact that, that this could be actually the king of a game doesn't mean that he couldn't have also other functions. So in the mm-hmm. case, maybe an idol. Who knows? Maybe that game was not so profane. Maybe there was something ritualistic about it. It's a speculation. Yeah. We, we can't know. Yeah. Um, also an interesting thing. The Baldur Seymour piece is made out of a different kind of bone. So he's made out of walrus or whale, while mm-hmm. the other pieces are made out of cattle bone. So there's apparently a choice in realizing these items in with different yeah. material, which would be interesting. Mm-hmm. And that um, was obviously much would be much more expensive and and would be I guess would be looked after yeah, like, more. Yeah, and maybe it's because exactly since that figurine is maybe not just the king of a game, 
is not just a piece, but maybe it's relevant for another reason. Reason maybe you want to employ a higher quality kind of material. It's it's open to question. Yeah. You know. Perfect. Okay, I have two questions left. Um, one, I might be wrong in remembering this, but I feel like do we have a little figure of what some people think is Odin wearing a dress? Is that um, have I, I haven't made that up? Uh, I think you're referring maybe uh, the so-called Odin from Leir that is from Denmark. That is that tiny, teeny, tiny figurine, sort mm-hmm. of female looking like clothed female in a yeah. throne with the birds over the throne. Yes, yeah. that, that again yeah. Odin from Leir mm-hmm. obviously needs to be Odin, but. Mm-hmm. It's open to question. It might be just a Ceres, might be a Volva. It's not necessarily Odin, you know. Obviously, we have the myth about Odin in mm-hmm. that sense. So you can, it, it's open to question, you know. You you don't have necessarily to exclude it, but you can't pinpoint it really. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same for uh, those kind of um, humanoid figurines having maybe looking like having just one eye. And they must mm. be there for Ozin or the horned ones that they mm. must be there for Ozin, which uh, it doesn't really fit uh, with interpretation. And mm-hmm. there's also a very interesting master thesis uh, about the horned uh, kind of figures, uh, which say the interpretation of this must be Ozin is actually not very correct. It would be more correct to interpret this like sort of people dealing with rituals, maybe that is a person putting something with oars because he's performing a ritual. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily Odin, how it would mm-hmm. be represented. There's mm-hmm. there's a word opening up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, but... yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just reminded me of a conversation I had at Midgard's Blood um, with a gentleman that makes their sort of idols that they use in the, in the Blood. Um, yeah. and they're like the pillar, small, well, like five foot pillar yeah. idols. And he was saying when he's carving one and, you know, when he's carving the face and maybe the eye, and if he slipped, like he might be doing Tia or, uh, Nod. And if he slips whilst he's doing the eye, he's like, now it's Odin. And he's just like, because he slipped and he's taken <laughs> one of the eyes. I was like, now it's not, it's, it's, it's Odin now. And sometimes they change yeah, whilst carving. Yeah, so so now sometimes they change whilst he's he's carving the yeah. wood based on if maybe it must the wood... be, it can't be freer any longer because it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, because because if if maybe the wood splits in a certain way or something happens, it's like well now it has to be yeah. The, and and I guess that's the same with yeah. any of these little figures. If a, if an eye comes out, it's automatically oh well. I was doing Odin. I was making Odin the whole time anyway. <laughs> But yeah, exactly. And um, there's also another figurine of possible pocket idol, the so-called Freyr from Sweden, Frelinge, that is the one that has the erected penis that everybody mm-hmm. calls Freyr because yeah. Freyr connected to yeah, abundance uh, crops and maybe fertility. Mm-hmm. And then because we have Adam of Bremen essentially describing the temple in Uppsala where the, these big size idols are. And he says that 
Fricko, Freyr has ingenti priapo. He has a big penis. So, mm-hmm. therefore, the figurine is called Freyr. Also there, I mean, it's likely, but it's still open to questions. Maybe it's just a man having a happy moment. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you, it's not a bad way to go down in history, is it? If that's what... <laughs> If that's what they describe you as, it's like, I can live with that. Like, yeah, fair enough. That I'll go down forevermore as that. He might be afraid. He might be afraid, sure, if we yeah. trust if we trust Adam of Bremen and also there we might open a huge chapter like mm-hmm. how real, reliable the account might be and so forth. But Okay. So okay, so so my last question before we wrap this up and then jump over and do a Q&A and let people in the chat ask you some questions, is how, if we know how the Christians looked at all these different idols, because obviously it's a, a sin to have any other idol than the, you know, the one true God. Um, so yeah, do we do we have an account of that? Of do they? I'm guessing they would look at it very negatively. Mm, yeah, well, it depends, at least in the Islam. In the context, uh, when Iceland decided to become Christian, um, at the beginning was not not a big deal. You were allowed to do your pagan stuff in private, uh, and that's it. Uh, then you don't find much about these in the sagas, really, not in my knowledge, but you have some uh, laws, like law manuscript codes, mm-hmm in which maybe there's more like now is uh, prohibited to yeah. Yeah. do this stuff or have, uh, they don't really mention idols, but for example, they mention people are not allowed to have a tomb, uh, Aethni Statli, that it means like a sort of eaten altar where possibly people might have had some uh, idols. Okay. Um, so that is mentioned, for example. Uh, or there are laws about in Sweden uh, regarding this stuff, Garthar, that might be sort of wooden poles with a face or whatever, something that yeah. deals with religious and rituals. There are laws that say it's prohibited for people to go there and sacrifice or bring offerings. Um, mm. So, yeah, but there's nothing really specifically about, oh, you are not allowed to have a pocket idol in your pouch. Um, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> no, fair enough. Yeah, I was. I just wasn't sure if it would be just like a, <laughs> yeah, a cut off of like you can't have. Is it? I'm not very. I'm not very up to date on my Christianity. But is it one of the Ten Commandments that thou shall not have false idols? So I thought it might be seen as quite a negative thing that they would stamp down on. Well, if you think if you think about even just the term idol in Christ terms is like a false god you know obviously it has a, it, has, it just even linguistically it has a negative connotation in that context um, which is I find it a bit funny in the sense because you can't have false idols but you can have the statue of Virgin Mary and you can worship that because that's good uh, you know yeah. it's, it's, I, I always find it interesting um, then yeah, Christianity depends. Like in my culture, for example, Hip-hop. I was brought up as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Go on. And it's just very briefly, some people still nowadays, you have these um, tiny medals with saints or Virgin oh. Mary. We call it Santini. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know them. Bring them around in your wallet, in your yeah. pocket. Maybe and a lot, I, I think a lot gets made it. into Christian pockets either. A lot get made into pendants as well. I think like a lot of people wear them around mm-hmm. the neck. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's, it's very interesting. Who would ever think that there would be hypocrisy in Christianity? Never. Never, no way. Never, never, never. <laughs> Perfect. Let's yeah. Let let's wrap this up. Um, it's been a it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, we're gonna end the main show now, and then we're gonna have a nice little Q and A with the people watching. We've already got some pre-submitted questions for you as well. So, anybody listening, if you want to follow on from this episode and join the Q and A, you can just jump over to. Patreon, if you support us on Patreon at any level, I think the lowest tier is £4 a month. It's like buying me a cup of coffee once a month. Uh, it helps the show, helps us keep growing, and you get extra content. So every week you get a bonus episode with the guests where we, you can even submit your question before the episode and get your, your question answered. Um, yeah, so where can people follow you? I guess maybe your Instagram and people can find out a little bit more about yeah I, I usually i prefer my email i prefer my email okay. because i have a private instagram account and i'll oh, okay. my private person but indeed i, uh, I understand uh, but um should i write my email in the chat or you have it and you can share it yeah uh, how yeah so it? what we'll, what we'll do is we'll put your email in the in the show notes and then people can can maybe drop you an email if they have a a question sure. if they, they don't get a chance to perfect um yeah so obviously if you if you enjoy the show please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review wherever you listen uh you can follow us more on instagram facebook we're gonna start doing tiktok more and just getting some clips out there and trying to grow the show around we're working on some merch and obviously the youtube channel if you can take a minute just to subscribe and hit the little bell notification that would be much appreciated and you can watch all the episodes and see our pretty faces i guess um yeah so thank you thank you very much this has been very interesting i've I've very much enjoyed this Uh, there we go that was awesome thank you for having me (laughs) oh you're welcome thank you very much